Ooh. There we go. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? How are you doing? It is the 14th of December, 2023, episode 183 of my live chat. My name is Luke Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. We will go as we customarily do for about an hour of free questions. And then after that, you can either be a member and ask questions for free, or you can, of course, put something in for the super chats and we'll get to those at the end. But if you don't want to do that, you just want to take in the questions as they are. You want to watch it for free. That's cool too. I'm happy you're here. Uh, like, and subscribe all the fun things that we do. Yes, indeed. Did I lock my door before my kid gets home? Yes, I did. Um, so without further ado, why don't we get this party started? Huh? Let's do that. Shit. Hold on one second. Let me get that thing going like this. And we're there. Let me just make sure everything is hunky dory with Otheller. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, well, I got to tell you, you know, what's amazing. Uh, Colby Covington, very tough, very talented, very good, has a very good chance of fulfilling his, I think, professional aspirations this weekend. Uh, Oddsmakers think he has a very good chance. I don't know if he has a very, very good chance, but he does have a good one, like super, super good one. Um, skilled, tough to deal with, right? The whole nine yards. His resume has some issues, obviously, but I got to tell you for as tough and as talented and as like. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, uh, relentless and uncompromising as he is. Uh, there's a certain segment of his fans that could not be more the opposite. There's a certain, it's not all of them, obviously. And if you're one of them, great. There's a certain segment of his fans that are the softest motherfuckers on the internet. And I'm look at me. If you know, it's not you, then it's not you, but there's a segment of his fans that if you don't get if you don't join them, they're already on their knees just filleting them. And if you don't get down there and join them, they're like, what? You're a fucking hater. Well, well, I don't know about that. I just don't want to join in with that particular activity that you're doing at this present moment. Um, I'd rather have a little bit more of a different kind of analysis if that's okay with you. But buddy, let me tell you, for all that tough talk that they do on the internet, not him, them. Colby can do whatever he wants. Them. All that tough talk, softest motherfuckers that ever lived softest if you see someone like that you know because colby colby dude colby one time joined me uh for a remote show i did and this was i forget exactly when this was this was uh this was after the old brazilian incident and he showed me his phone like in the inside of it and like all the death threats he was getting like dude he's he'll just show up like he's just kind of does that shit you know he is tough like he is who he says he is but his fans are the exact opposite. Like they're ever, they're nothing who they say they are. Uh, and for all of the people who are, you know, the, the, for the fuck your feelings crowd, <laughs> they're the most sensitive people that there are. It's like, it's, it's like amazing to watch this projection of phony strength that they have manufactured out of totally nothing. Just this, uh, this, this online identity that they think is their real world identity. And, um, it, it's, it's amazing to see how delicate they are. Absolutely fragile, fragile creatures who are in desperate need of safe spaces. Amazing to see not who they are at all. They do a lot of this, a lot of this, but they're none of that. Amazing. Amazing. Um, we can get to Colby versus Leon. We can get to... All of UFC 296, we can get to whatever you want to get to, right? 
Um, there it is right down there. Let me turn off the banner because that's even annoying to me. All right, there you go. So thank you for joining me. I had to get it off my chest because I've been bombarded with... Again, there's a bunch of fans who like Colby who are totally level-headed and normal and awesome. Good for them. And if they think he's going to win, that's cool. I have no fucking idea who's going to win. You know? I don't. I don't. And I have also said this a million times. People are like, oh, you're going to be upset if Colby wins. No. I don't. What the fuck? As long as the contest is fair, right, where the referee doesn't fuck it up or the judges don't do something crazy and, like, the right guy wins... Dude, the game is too difficult to pick sides like that. Dude, plenty of people win every week I don't like. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. What only thing that matters is, did the fair thing happen? Did the right guy win? And the right guy is not who you like. The right guy is the one who on that particular night did the work they were supposed to do and they weren't interfered with by the other opponent in terms of like a, a rule breaking. The judges didn't fuck it up. The, you know, there wasn't some kind of freak injury or something although even that could sometimes be um uh, judicious but all that ever matters is if the right guy wins and if he's the right guy that wins then he's then th the fight game is too difficult to to be so uh to make it so personalized right you just the the, the chances come he, this is his third chance like if this doesn't win i think he, he, anybody would say that's probably going to be it for him or anybody else who goes 0 for 3 in title fights in all likelihood especially by the age of what 35 will be 36 i think in february um so if he's the right guy he's the right guy that none, none of that shit bothers me the only thing i cannot stand are these people who adopt identities that are absolutely in total contradiction with their behavior I mean, just try. You, you, I. No one thinks you're tough, except for you. Nobody, nobody thinks you're tough. And probably deep down inside, most of those folks know they're not tough either. Um, just crazy shit. Colby's tough as shit. He's tough, but <laughs> these jabronis. Oh my god. With that in mind, let's get this party started, shall we? Jesus. All right, let's see what we got. Uh, okay. First things first. Oh, Jesus. What am I doing here? Hold on. There we go. Okay. Can you see that? Yes. Uh, Luke, I've enjoyed the mutual shout-outs between you and Boxing Gems. Let me tell you about Boxing Gems in a second. UBC and Gems... Really helped me appreciate boxing again. Do you ever find it difficult to go from watching sophisticated boxing performances to high-level MMA fights with sloppy footwork and strikes being thrown from miles away? Well, no. The contrast between Haney last weekend and Covington this weekend really puts things into perspective. Okay, but here's the difference, right? Is it hard to go from high-level boxing where everything is super, super sharp to like mid-level MMA? Yes, that is a big trade-off. It is not difficult to go from... Let's say Haney versus Pro Gray in boxing to, in this particular case, Colby versus Leon. Because, yes, Colby is not a world-class boxer, but he is a world-class fighter. And he does have, for MMA, world-class wrestling. Again, in that context. In that context, he does. Um, and in the context of MMA, he obviously has a phenomenal gas tank. So, no, that's not hard for me to watch at all. In fact, I'm pretty excited for it. I think most MMA fans would say they, in fact, are excited for it. No, that's not difficult. But is there a trade-off between going, as I mentioned before, between high-level boxing? And that's probably true on the other end as well. Like, is it hard to go from high-level MMA to, like, mid-level boxing? Yeah, it's probably a real shit trade-off. So it's probably true, frankly, in either direction. But 
um, Boxing Gems. If you guys ever heard of Boxing Gems, dude, these I, I, they the, the, they put out so much content. I can barely keep up with it. I mean, they do previews of fights. They do reviews of fights. They do like, dude, he'll go back, and I think I just I haven't even seen the video. I just saw it the 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 he's the I think it's like only two Patreons I pay for his and somebody else. Uh, he put out a tape study today on like Muhammad Ali. Like he'll go go back and do all of that. And his shit, I don't know the guy's name, but his shit is phenomenal, phenomenal, really, really, really sharp, incisive stuff. And he cuts through all the bullshit about stuff that doesn't matter or the extraneous details, and gets right down to the heart of the matter. Boxing gems. So if you really want to understand like what happens before a fight, what to look for, what after, uh, or after you can do it. The only thing I would caution is, and this is a good problem to have. It's so much content. Like they're so, I think it's another guy. I heard his voice on there too recently. It's typically just one guy. Prolific, prolific how much work they put out. So yeah. Uh, kind of a strange question, but I'll entertain it. Luke, coming from uh, being a regular person to someone that quote, or I, I should say parentheses, I assume with at least relative frequency is recognized randomly in public. Do you enjoy the fame relative, of course, or would you rather not get recognized as well? I mean, guys, no one, paparazzi is not following me around town. No one is harassing me. No one is harassing my family. The other day, I went to Harris Teeter, which is a grocery store, right? It's a grocery store. I went to Harris Teeter with my family, uh, with my wife and my kid. And the dude who was putting, uh, he was putting vegetables or, or fruit together, he stopped me and he was super cool. And he goes, yeah, I know you're with your family. Just want to say blah, blah, blah. I love, and this was after, this was after what card? Uh, not the song of Dawn card. It was like another one. Um, so it was maybe like a week or two ago. Couldn't have been more respectful. And then there was another point in that same grocery store visit where another dude like in an arsenal jacket came up and had something nice to say. The dude who cut this hair, like my last haircut was like, he's like, are you the guy that did that Terrence Crawford and Izzy breakdown? And he like, went through the details and I was like, so like it happens. Like if you're on YouTube enough, uh, it will happen. It will happen. But virtually I would say 99.9% .9 of times it's somebody friendly. It's almost always a dude. It's never anybody else but a dude. And, uh, the interactions are usually short, friendly, and they're on their way. Like this is not, you know, if you can't tolerate a burden like that, I mean, <laughs> you know, don't get on YouTube or something. I don't know what to say. I could imagine folks who have much bigger profiles or engage in much more polarizing work, maybe have a different experience. I don't know, but, um, no, I don't have anything bad to say about it. I've literally only had one person, I think, in my entire life scream something negative at me. And it was at a UFC either weigh-in or press conference. And it was just some, I mean, this motherfucker looked like a garbage pail kid. Just some drunk slob uh, in the audience. And he screamed something at me that I think was, you know, what the fuck did he say? I can't remember what he said, but it was clear he... He, he just doesn't like my views on, on, I guess, my political views or any, any other kind of views. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't remember exactly what he said. I just remember thinking what I heard uh, after he said it. But literally, that's it. Like, he just screamed across the arena. I mean, and again, and this dude, you know, I mean, this is a guy who looked like he'd been, he, he looked like life had not necessarily, this is the kind of guy that life had dealt a, uh, you know, um, two seven off suit, right? That was the hand he was dealt, two seven off suit. So, you know, I didn't, I, I just didn't think too much about it. But other than that, in person, again, online, people say whatever the fuck they want. But in person, it's, it's almost universally positive.
And the Harris Teeter incident is not necessarily common, but that's mostly the tenor of what it is. Someone's like, oh, I recognize you from that video or whatever. And then they say hi and they say thanks and then you go about your day. There's nothing burdensome about that. All right. Uh, 183 episodes in, how do you feel about this iteration of the live chat compared to your first one that stopped? What were your initial expectations and goals and the result of them? Anything you'd like to add or change? Guys, the goals and the everything else are the same. I I don't I didn't have necessarily grand uh project in mind when I reconstituted the live chat. I just wanted to do something that f- A, I think some folks at, at least at the time I reconstituted it really wanted me to do, but more to the point, I wanted to do it. I like the back and forth. I like the the challenge. I like the questions. I I, I like doing this. Um, when I stop liking it, or when enough people don't care, or some combination of the two, I guess I will stop. But you got to do a couple things in your life that you'll just enjoy doing. I I look forward to Thursdays at three p.m. I look forward to talking to you guys. I look forward to being here. I look forward to the back and forth. I look forward to. You know, even sometimes the questions I don't necessarily like or topics I don't want to talk about, it's kind of important to still do them such that they arrive at your doorstep. You know, I I I want to I want to do things that I enjoy. I want to do content that, um, you know, you have to do. You can't just utterly self indulge and only do content that only you like. But if you don't like doing something enough, you're not really going to do it. But to me, it's the back and forth. I mean, I feel like you guys, and I mean this super sincerely. I really and truly mean this. Even the trolls to some extent. This exercise, to anyone who I think engages in it, I'm not the only one who does something like this, but I think this kind of exercise will keep you sharper than you ordinarily would be. It is it is beneficial for you. It is... Or when I say you, I mean the proverbial you for the folks who do it. It's 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 at times funny. It's at times easy. It's at times uh, difficult. It's at times rewarding. It's this mix in between. But in general, it is a kind of keep you on your toes exercise. I don't know. I sort of like that. I sort of like that. Um, yeah. So, what are my expectations? My expectations are to keep keep enjoying it. To be, I hope. To be perfectly honest with you, and as long as there's enough people that care about it, uh, um, I'll keep doing it. I will say that, God, the inability to get my channel back. So I, so when we did MK initially, I'm oh, sorry, sorry. When we did MK, one CBS got involved because remember it was just Showtime at first, and it was just once a week, and then Showtime got, or excuse me, then CBS got involved. And then it became this full time thing. I left SiriusXM. SiriusXM was such a great gig for me for any number of reasons, not least of which was they let me contractually upload one segment a day on my YouTube channel, monetize it, and just keep the money from it. So the money sometimes was good. Sometimes it was, you know, 10 bucks. It wasn't necessarily the make or break part of it, but it kept the channel pumping, constantly putting content on there. And it's been just much more difficult to do that in terms of like the latitude of things I have to talk about. And the ease with which it is to get things going. Now that you had a kid in on top of it, it has become much more difficult. So, in that sense, I have some major issues. Um, now, I'm hoping that once we get started in the new year, and I'm not traveling as much <laughs> now that Showtime won't exist anymore, that that will be less of an issue. But um, that that part to me has been an ass kicker. That that has been an ass kicker. But 
everything else I'm I'm uh, you know with respect to just doing this this is this is fun for me I really I I feel very uh grateful and I mean this with absolute sincerity I feel very grateful that I have the opportunity to do this every week or most weeks anyway Uh, there you go. Yes. Luke, this is perhaps a dark question, but you've often alluded to the true ugliness of the sport, ranging from managers to fighters to promoters. Can you elaborate on how dark it is covering the sport? Well, I mean, you know, we're not trafficking kids in some kind of dumbass wayfair. Uh, uh, you, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not some heinous crime that's being committed or something, but, uh, additionally, are there any people that really stand out to you as genuinely decent, despite how dark it may be? I hope my question makes sense. Yeah. Let me think about some decent people. Uh, John Anik, I think, is a really decent person. Um, that's for sure. Uh, John Anik is super decent. Um, there's a, there's some PR folks uh, at all the places I've worked with. Um, you know, I saw CJ Tuttle got picked up from Bellator to PFL. He seems like a good dude. I don't know him super, super well, but um, he seems like a good dude. And actually, there was a lot of folks in that Bellator PR staff that were some lifesavers, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, Chris Costello from UFC, I think has been just a really exemplary stand-up dude, never told me anything that wasn't true, uh, and has been really gracious with his uh, time and, and help such that, um, I, I never ask UFC PR for anything. I might have a couple of questions when I'm actually in attendance, but like remotely, I don't ever ask them for anything. Um, but in person he is exceedingly helpful. And there's some other ones on that staff too. So those folks seem to be entirely decent. There's definitely some MMA media folks that are, I think, um, you know, very, very decent people. Uh, Nate Wilcox, who runs BE, has been, I think, um, uh, to me, when I was his partner as an editorial, uh, you know, sort of a two, two, we were like a two-man team running BE for a long time, um, was just a great, great, like very, very trustworthy stand-up dude. I mean, the people who have normal lives outside of like what they do. And it's not a lot of them. And I'm not saying I necessarily do either, but the people who have mostly, I'll say it put this way, the people who have mostly normal lives. Um, they seem to be for the most part. Okay. You know, uh, the guy who helps do, okay, here's a great guy, uh, who helps me. Uh, how about Othello? Othello, dude, Othello is a fucking, and I mean this, like, understand what I'm about to say is a fucking rock in my life. Right now. He's dumb as a rock. <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, what I mean is this dude, when I was starting out on weekends, I got thrown a bone by the program director of 106.7 The Fan, who I think is still the program director there to this day. He threw me a bone, was like, hey, you want to do a show once a week on the radio? And at the time, this was 2000, I don't know, eight or nine, something like that. Maybe, maybe nine. Um, Othello was like, I'll help out. And dude, he's been, he's been by my side ever since. And there's been, especially with this channel, we have been, you guys saw me go into that office and all that shit fell apart. And then trying to get this going here. And I made a number of changes. I wish I could show you this. Like I've rearranged the studio to do like the next breakdown video I do will look different to you. You will see the, my TV is like literally right here. Like, I don't know if you can hear that. It's me touching the TV. I can't really turn the camera, but, um, you know, he has seen any number of successes I've had and he's seen any number of failures and he doesn't quit on me. Um, you know, he's, he's just been an absolute, uh, I just don't know where I would be without him, quite frankly, you know, a, a truly decent, generous, kind, you know, he probably likes weird pornography, but other than that, he seems like a very normal guy. 
Um, you know, and I could, I'm sure I'm forgetting. I mean, obviously BC, you know, how could I, you know, BC is a weirdo, but he's a very normal guy in the sense that like he's a dad, he's got two kids, he lives in the suburbs, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, and there's some other folks in the sport I, I, I can't really think of, you know, Rashad to me, Rashad Evans seems like a very decent person, uh, uh post the sort of spiritual journey that he's been on. There's definitely, definitely some, some, some ladies and gentlemen out there that are Laura Senko to me. Uh, Laura Senko was, has been, again, I don't know her quite well enough to speak about all the ins and outs of her days and her lives. I haven't spoken to her in some time recently, but, um, you know, a mom, works on a farm she got this great opportunity because she's uber talented and she works really hard and everything the these people these people who have relatively you know and i'm speaking about myself here too like relatively normal home lives that keep you grounded i think it's when you let i honestly i mean this I, you know I, i'm not having a family is not for everybody but what i can say is there are a lot of people who i and i am one of them whose lives would be much better off and more grounded and centered and um, free of the kind of almost, uh, I don't know if perverse is the word, but free of the kinds of distractions that lead to um, a bad life. Uh, the, the family unit helps them skip all of that. Um, at least to this point, it's helped me skip all of that. You know, I did not have a stable home life, as you guys well know, when I grew up. And having a stable home life now has been an extraordinary blessing. An extraordinary blessing. I mean, the, I, 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 I cannot overstate to you. I have, I have seen, I have, dude, I, oh my God, man. <laughs> can I tell this story? Let me think about how I can tell this story. I talked to somebody who was a big time executive at a big time MMA organization who knew some other big time people at another big time MMA organization. And they were, t he was telling me what those other people were engaged in, what kind of behavior they were engaged in. And it was like fucking Caligula, you know, just total, um, out to lunch, unrestrained behavior in the worst way, not like in a positive way, like in the worst way. And listen, everyone's got a different life to live. I'm not in any way suggesting my life is the right way or the best for you or the best for anyone. Truly, everyone has to figure out their own path. And again, having a family simply will not be for everyone. You simply have to accept that and that's okay. I can only speak for myself. But what I can say is seeing some of these people depart into these very dark corners and behaviors, both being in terms of self-destructive and then what it means for their professional behavior. Um, I cannot tell you how grateful I am for my situation. Cannot tell you how grateful I am. So that's kind of what I always look for is like who has a relatively, and again, relatively speaking, a relatively normal home life that will kind of tell you what their priority is because the people who like, there's a lot of people who like get into the sport and have like a relatively normal home life and then just abandon it for you know, whatever the professional pursuits end up giving them. And I, I don't think, you know, how many years I've been doing this later, I don't, I can't recall a single one where I thought they were better off afterwards. They might've been richer. Uh, and that's not nothing. That's pretty useful, but they seem to me like, you know, 
especially the ones who got like heavy and and like like he's without sin cast the first stone the ones who got heavy into drinking and then just stayed into the drinking and the partying and the drugs oh my god man it just led them down dark dark paths so you're asking you're, now you might be talking about other things like professional malfeasance the way the industry is structured like the lack of any federal regulation is in part what gives rise i think honestly to some of these behaviors not like necessarily the granular level but when there's just this, when, when literally the industry is itself unrestrained and there are winners and losers and what this all means for how that enriches people, impoverishes people, and what this all ends up doing to their behavior on a professional and personal life, like it's all downstream, not so much from like, we need a, a union or we need the Ali Act. I don't mean that. I mean, there's a lot of different arrangements that could be constructed, but... It's hard for me to believe we would have what we have if we had a, in terms of what I've seen and what I've heard, if we had a more structured, regulated industry. Uh, you, again, even in boxing, you still get a lot of this shit too, so it wouldn't solve the problem. But uh, the stuff I've heard that is done from people who, like this person I, I met up with, who v extremely well-connected in the industry, and what they were telling me, it's like I've never heard anyone ever tell me anything about something like that in boxing never even heard anything remotely close to it um there's just this it's just the wild west for think about that it's like the wild west like it's it's ungoverned and so it just leads to all of this pathological behavior that is uh you know if you go down far enough it'll fuck you up all right uh, Luke, what do you think makes BC and yourself compatible work partners? You're quite different in a lot of ways, but clearly it works to everyone's benefit. I mean, this is a simple one, right? We started out here and just kind of arrived at the same spot at, the, at roughly the same age, same kind of goals. Uh, in many ways, we're very, very similar people. In many ways, we're opposite people. Opposites, I don't mean attract as like any kind of like personal interaction, but I mean, you want to have two different kinds of people on air for any of these scenarios that we're on. It's a good pairing in that way. Um, we have different strengths. We have different weaknesses. We one kind of covers for the other. It just makes a lot of sense. Like when two people have very similar kinds of journeys with similar struggles that want to go to similar places and they kind of contrast themselves, but one's weakness kind of covers for the other one, or I should say one strength covers the other one's weakness and vice versa tends to work out pretty well. Uh, again, he's a dad. I'm a dad. He's hardworking. I, I try to be as hardworking as I can be. Um, you know, it's just where uh, there's, Outwardly, it looks very different. Outwardly, it looks very, very different. But if you really actually examine what matters in the equation about how similar we are, there's actually a shitload of overlap. That, to me, I think is the part that's lost on people. It's like, oh, he's, you know, um, he's fast and loose and funky and I'm you know, uptight and blah, blah, blah. And those things do matter, especially for like honor personalities. But honestly, when you really examine the core of what's there, it's very, 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 very similar. What do you think it would take for Tony to retire? God damn, great question. His resolve and will were always an advantage, but those were the same those same weapons seem to be preventing him from seeing what everyone else does. You know what? I will tell you something. Did you guys see his media day yesterday? I thought he sounded the most level-headed I've heard him in quite some time. Now, he's still Tony. He's still saying things that, you know, 
are sometimes a little bit that you're not quite sure what they mean, you know, um, they, they meander a little bit, you know, it, it, it's still, it's still Tony, but he, did you hear the story about his wife texting him? Like you're not smiling anymore and how he admitted that like, if anybody else had told him that he would dismiss it and maybe like cut them out of his life and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and you know, he thought about it, like it really mattered to him. And he, he, he admitted he didn't know what to write back to his wife. He would write a message and then delete it. And he would write a message and then this is what he said. He would write a message and then delete it because normally he, you know, if it was anybody else, he'd be like, fuck off. You don't know what you're talking about. And then it, it hit him like a ton of bricks, you know? And the question is like, you know, why he feels that way and why he wasn't smiling and what this all means. I'm not here to tell you that that necessarily will change his fortunes on Saturday. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I think a lot of the trouble that he's in is baked in, not just the losing streak, but you know, he's what 39, he'll be 40 soon. Um, that's a very difficult division in which to get old. I think that's part of the problem. He's taken an enormous amount of damage. His body has absorbed a, a number of injuries. Like all of these things um, can be somewhat mitigated, but cannot be undone. They are in the system, right? They're already there. And the results have, to an extent, spoken for themselves. And he's been what finished in his last three. Um, but there was a certain level of clarity of thought that he had, self-reflection, uh, you know what the, the Goggins thing? I, I will say this: I'm a, I feel like two percent different about maybe maybe more than that, maybe like ten percent different than I did before. I don't know that, that if that will help him or not. My my view is probably not. Right? It's very hard to look at a guy who already had great cardio and great mental resilience, and then look at this hell week and think, oh, that's what he needed. It seems like that's actually not what he needed. But Tony is strange. The MMA fight game is strange. None of us know the future. We shall see. It's the level of depth of thought that he has, the level of self-scrutiny that he's engaged in. And you might say, well, how could you engage in that kind of scrutiny and then go to that behavior? But I think he needed some kind of like cauldron of fire to get him to go to that place, to get him to go to a place where he could engage with some of these feelings, where he could engage with perhaps some of the doubt he was feeling and the anger and the frustration, perhaps the sadness, perhaps the concern, the anxiety, all the things he was wrestling with, maybe going through that hell week was his way of processing all of those things he had been feeling. And again, will that actually make him win on Saturday? I, probably not, right? But I don't know. Like there was a part of me that thought even if he loses, he seemed a little bit, not fully, but a little bit mentally healed or at a bare minimum understanding uh, more of himself that he had up to this point. Now you might say, well, okay, but how could you be understanding and then not know that you should retire or that this might be a bad idea? Let's see what happens Saturday. Patty is the most vulnerable opponent he's had in quite some time. I mean, let's just think about that. Who's the, who actually great question for, uh, as I say it out loud, who is the last guy you would say, was on par. I'll pull up the Wikipedia. That's a little bit easier on the eyes. That was as um, relatively beatable as Patty Pimblett. So here are his opponents prior to this one. Bobby Green, I'd put Bobby above him. Nate Diaz, I'd put Nate above him. Um, and then, of course, Michael Chandler, Benil, Charles, Justin Gaethje. I mean, these are all names that would have beaten uh, him. Cerrone, Pettis, Pettis back in 2018. I'd still probably pick Pettis, so that one's a little bit different. Kevin Lee, 2017. 2017, Kevin Lee, even we had the staff infection. Remember, he's still got Mount on him. The RDA fight might be his best one. Lando Venata, Edson Barboza, Josh Thompson off of Strike Force, 
back in 2015. Gleason Tebow, Abel Trujillo, uh, Danny Cast- uh, then uh, Katsunori Kakuno, Mike Rio. I mean, dude, you might have to go back to like Katsunori Kakuno or Mike Rio, which is back to like 2014, 2013, you know, for an opponent that was, I think, as beatable. I'm not saying that he's as good as those guys or whatever. I'm just saying, what was the last time that Tony had an opponent who was this defensively vulnerable? Probably probably going all the way back, you could say maybe Gleason Tebow, maybe. And fucking Tony ran right through him. Jesus, I forgot about that. Two minutes and 37 seconds, rear naked choke. Yeah, he ran right through that dude. You know what I mean? And that's what, if you had if you had 2015, imagine if it was 2015 Tony fighting Patty. It wouldn't be a doubt in your mind, bro. He would run right through that guy, you know? Uh, obviously, we're in a bit of a different time. So, um, I'll just say that there was a level of processing that I saw him go through that I don't know how useful it will be on Saturday in his fight against Patty, but in terms of understanding himself and his place and what it all means and why he feels the way he feels, there was a, there was, I don't know, man, there was a level of, uh, uh, clairvoyance is not quite the right right, right word, but a level of introspection that I really respected actually. Uh, Luke, you mentioned a few times in reference to Leon Edwards, but sometimes you'll see fans mistake quietness for timidness or a lack of confidence if they aren't particularly loud or trash talk a lot. Obviously, how loud someone is during a presser or through media has no bearing on fighting ability. Or not, not almost, yeah, yeah, more or less, yeah. But why do you think that fans, particularly American fans, gravitate towards more boisterous personalities and downplay the ability of more reserved types? I don't know if it's just Americans. Americans might be... a little bit more um, leaning into that kind of a thing, but I don't think it's exclusive to them. I mean, the Irish seem to love before everything has happened more recently or in the last few years anyway. When Connor was hot and talking shit about everybody, the Irish seem to love that, you know? So, but putting that aside, um, why do I think fans gravitate towards it? Because it's alluring. Dude, Muhammad Ali, I mean, Muhammad Ali is, you know, the sort of the apex example of this. Who doesn't love the shit he talked? <laughs> right? It's part of the story. Part of the story is this magnetism, is this at times charm, is at times this wordsmith. And he would literally do rhymes, right? He would do literal rhymes where he was doing rhyme schemes and telling a story about it. And people found it amazing. And then he would do whatever he'd do on the ring. And, he, you know, this guy was just in total command of not only himself and his, in many ways, his opponents, but the room every time he walked into it. Connor, I'm not putting him on par with Muhammad Ali, but I am saying like when he was on that hot streak, you could see a similar kind of effect. Just in total command of the room, this this dynamic energy and magnetism that really, you know, uh, speaks to both the the gift of gab that they have, and but also like this sort of like understanding. Speaking of like Tony previously, this understanding of self, this understanding of themselves in relation to everybody else, their understanding of what they want, their goals, like there's just real clear, everything is very, very clear to them, right? And that's a lot of confidence too. This is, this is unusual. This is, you don't see people do stuff like this. And then of course, what makes fighting so unique is that you can say outrageous things and then back it up with, and you know, 
stopping Jose Aldo in 13 seconds or Muhammad Ali winning, you know, Rumble in the Jungle or whatever. These outrageous performances. And it all becomes part of this larger identity. Dude, people are, of course, attracted to dynamic speakers. They are attracted to dynamic, brash, interesting, controversial, polarizing personalities. I don't, again, I do, I do agree with you that there are probably some national slash cultural lines where some cases are people more receptive to it than others or different ways in which they might be receptive to different parts. But in general... Um, I don't begrudge, dude, I'm no, I'm no better. I don't begrudge fans at all admiring brash talkers. I think the only thing I would ever say is that sometimes people are like, oh, X is a great talker or Y is a brash talker. And then you hear them talk and they're just a, they're just a fucking idiot. Like, well, okay. No, I mean, this is, you know, I don't know what that is. You, this is, this is, this is consistent or I won't say consistent. This is not uncommon. That's my, my only gripe is when they like ascribe the greatness of someone's ability when they clearly are not very good at it. That's different. But like in the case of Connor, for example, it's simply undeniable. Um, in the case of, you know, you make Muhammad Ali, who's another person I would say in the last few years who's been pretty good at that boxing or MMA. We haven't had a great one recently. Um, like consistently just owning the room. Honestly, we have we really haven't had one like that. I, I, I'm not thinking. You know, Habib was a little bit like that. He was much more reserved, you know. But that that number one bullshit stuff, and then um, some of the interviews he would get. He, he's different. He wasn't brash and loud. He, he was quite the opposite. But he also had a certain kind of command of his personality and his words, which is a different kind of thing, but semi-related. Yeah, there's not been really a whole lot of them that are all that great. This is my point. There's some that are, like, decent at it, you know? Um, there are some that are decent at times that have good lines, but, like, a real great brash personality is actually quite rare. It's pretty rare. That's why when you see it, it's like, it's, as I said before, so unusual. How many guys are actually really good at it? Not many. Not many. Best guess for why Colby was guaranteed this title shot for so long. I've heard a lot of different reasons and conspiracy theories like dropping the charges against Masvidal where he's a draw, but why hasn't Dana been why has Dana been so committed to this? Well, a couple things. I mean, they offered him fights and then uh, other guys wouldn't take it, so there's partly a willingness to do that. Uh didn't he feel wasn't he the backup at one point for something as well? I forget which one that might have been. Um guys, I mean, listen. Colby is I think a a oh, he's obviously like got a brash personality, but um, you know, there's a question about like how good his trash talk is. I don't, I don't think it's that great, but but his level of ability is quite high. Um, and dude, he's gonna sell a fight better than just about anyone at the top of this division, or, or better than most that have been around at this time. Like if they've been looking for some some kind of foil to play there. You know, was it going to be Wonder Boy if he had continued to win? Like, if he hadn't lost to Bilal? Like, and plus, he'd already had the two fights against Woodley that, you know, one was a weird draw and then he lost. And so there's this, you know, his place is much older. Colby's not young, but he's not, I think, I think Wonder Boy's like 40 or almost 41. There's that. Um, I, you know, Bilal, obviously, I think is very, very deserving of a title shot, but he's simply not going to do the kind of numbers that Colby is going to do. There's really no question about that. Um, there probably is a little bit to do with the fact that there is, uh, you know, a worldview alignment between he and Dana White 
you know, in terms of the, the politics of things. But I doubt that really played any kind of significant role. I don't think it hurt, but I don't think it played a significant role. Honestly, I just feel like they they believe in him. He probably did the company several solids. Um, they did strip. Remember, remember the whole uh, Darren Till thing where, where, where it was supposed to be wasn't it supposed to be Woodley and Colby and then Colby couldn't do it because he had like to get like sinus surgery or some kind of some kind of issue. And then they stripped him of his interim title for that and the whole thing. And it was kind of weird. So I guess the company didn't like all that at that time, but they seem to have really come around on him. They seem to like him. They seem to like what he offers. They like the fact that he promotes the shit out of his fights in the way that he does. Um, he is favored by the company. And then when you add that he is we can't in any way affirmatively declare like, oh, he's a bum. He's washed up. We can't declare that at all. Like, in fact, what were, what, were the, what were the latest odds? What were the latest odds? Let me pull them up here. I go to best fight odds. Excuse me. Best fight odds. They're close, right? They're super close. So they've got at UFC 296. Jesus Christ, man. Where the hell? Oh, here we go. Yeah. I mean, FanDuel. Has him has Leon at a as a minus one seventy eight. They've got Colby at plus one thirty eight. Dude, he's barely an underdog. I mean, that's why all this time later, you've got a guy who's still this much of a threat, who's built his name up. And here's the other part too: like Colby hasn't do, doesn't do a lot of MMA media interviews. He does some. He does like submission radio. I think he talks to like James Lynch on occasion. Maybe some other folks. I'm not sure exactly, but not not a whole lot, right? Not a whole lot. Um, but dude, he does big time conservative media. You see him on hits on Fox News. He he's done Candace Owens's podcast. Like he's done a lot of stuff where he's really blown up his profile to the point where he has generated um, an audience for himself. It's on these political terms, well, political slash sporting terms. But nevertheless, it's a noteworthy audience. It's a reasonably sized audience. That's more than just about any other contender. Has done. Masvidal had a big name before his, you know, eventual um, retirement from the sport. But Colby beat him in in the last contest. So I just think you know, let me pull up the rankings here. I'm trying to see like I don't know where the rankings were at all these various intervals where they could have gone with somebody else. But if you look at 170 now, it's Kamaru who obviously is like a 185er and you know already lost to Leon twice. Then you got Bilal. He's, he's just not bigger than Colby. Not even close. Colby sitting at three, Gilbert at four, but he's had a series of setbacks and and whatnot, and he's got a fight coming up against who? JDM, sick fight. Shafkat's at five, could get interesting with him, but he doesn't even speak English. Thompson, uh, again, forty years old, they're just not going to be trying to give him a title shot anytime soon. Sean Brady sitting at seven, not ready. Jeff Neal sitting at eight, not ready. Vicente Luque at nine. Uh, Ian Gary at 10, JDM at 11, Holland at 12, Magni at 13, Kiesa at 14, and then at 15, Renat Fakretinov. Who was it supposed to be? If you're trying to maximize views and you're trying to maximize buys and you're trying to use an audience or any uh, fighter's audience or any fighter's relationship to an audience to get the most amount of eyeballs, you would go with Colby Covington given the alternatives. You know, and then the fact that look at the odds. The odds are he's barely an underdog. It's, it sort of explains it, doesn't it? Like I, there is a debate about how popular Colby is, and that part to me is somewhat unclear. We can't quite tell exactly what tier of star he belongs to. But given the names that I just read, he is categorically bigger than, except for maybe Kamaru, and even that's a little debatable. But like, he's not really relevant in this case anyway. Among the relevant names that you potentially could put in there, the rest of them are not even close. They're not even close. So to me, it's relatively self-explanatory. I know his resume has been weird. 
doesn't have a win over anybody who's like currently on the top 15 or whatever the fuck it is, you know? He's only fought once in, I think he fought twice in 2019, once in 2020, once in 2021, and then once in 2022. He has been inactive. But the other part is, and this, the odds speak to this, and I said this on yesterday's MK, he's got a system in place where it's kind of, he's adapted the system over time. He's added some wrinkles here. He's added some wrinkles there. Not a whole lot of stuff that's changed, but it doesn't really need to. It, it's a very... It's a very good system, and basically, the Varley Alves fight notwithstanding, the only person who could really deal with it is Usman. Um, and so he's no longer in, in the relevant space. You know, I, I get that Colby has not been active, right? So, like, the, the standard view would be he's not been active, he's not been relevant, he's in the sense of like beating relevant guys. Like, he hasn't, he doesn't have a win over anyone in the top five or top 10. And so, like, therefore, what would you do? We don't know which fights he tried to take behind the scenes and that the other folks didn't take, which I think sets him up nicely. But then the other consideration is Walter Waits in a really weird transitional stage uh, where some of the old names have all gone out. He's one of the last ones that's still there. He's done a lot, or I should say a fair amount anyway, to blow up his image and garner an audience. I think he's got like a million... Um, he's got a million followers on Instagram. Like, that's more than what the other guys are doing. That's going to put them at the front of the line. You know, I get that. I really do. Uh Oh, Tuki's home. Here we go. Uh, Hey Luke, do you think there should be any caveats? Caveat does not, does not need an apostrophe put in place for fighters to be able to go for champ champ status. I understand it's prize fighting and it's ultimately about making the biggest fights commercially, but I'm getting pretty tired of champions constantly wanting to jump weight classes when there are contenders waiting. Caveats put in place? I don't think you mean caveats. I think you mean like criteria. Um, no. No. I don't. Once you start putting criteria in there, okay, maybe I'd put this one. Um, you shouldn't be talking about champ champ stuff if you haven't even won the belt yet. Listen, God bless Drickus Duplessis. Proved me and a million other people wrong. You guys know I did a breakdown on him. The whole nine yards. Like, I can't wait for his fight against Sean Strickland. And he might win that one too. I don't know what the odds are, but he might win that one too. Like, he's a tough, tough guy. Learned my lesson the hard way with him. Fair enough. But he hasn't won anything yet as of the moment we're speaking. He hasn't won anything yet, and he was talking about like champ champ stuff. I'm like, dude, at a bare minimum, you got to win the title first. And honestly, you should probably have at least one or two title defenses. And, and even that seems like bare minimum. They didn't give it to Volk till he had like, what, four or five, something like that? You know? Like, you really got to go in there and do something before that fight even becomes relevant to me or interesting to me. I understand the market incentives for the fighters and why they go that direction. And I think most of you do as well, right? It's it, it simply, that's that's the new level of achievement standard that fighters have set for themselves by virtue of what Connor did at UFC 205 and uh, other ones subsequently. But no, the most difficult thing to do in modern MMA is to win a UFC title and then defend it over time. It's the most difficult thing to do. There's nothing more difficult than that. That is number one most outrageously hard achievement. I mean, look at Sean, look at Sean uh, O'Malley. You know, that win over Aljamain Sterling, clean, dude, clean. 
Nice win. Good luck holding on to that title, and it's not because he's not good. It's because everybody else in that division is an absolute hammer all the way down. You know, just good luck. Like the, that's, that's the hard shit to do. That's the hard shit to do. So a certain level of immortality, and of course in combat sports, we always want guys to go up and wait and collect more belts to become two-weight, three-weight, four-weight world champion, at least in boxing anyway. Um, but I have to tell you, this, I think, or this thing where everyone like wins a title, defends it once, and then they're like, or even in the case of Drick, it's not even winning it yet, and then being like, yeah, I want to go for the second one. It's like, guys, I don't want you to. I want you to just not do that, you know. You guys like my Chewbacca mug? If you're asking Luke, is that another Chewbacca mug that you have? It's not a mug, it's a cup. Yes. Yes, it is. Chewbacca's the fucking man. Uh, Luke, most what has been the most revealing information to come out of the UFC lawsuit so far? Great question. It really will depend on your perspective. Here's what I can tell you is mine. For years and years and years, I had fighters, people who used to work at that organization, managers, you name it. Sometimes in public, but mostly in private. Tell me all of these things. You cannot imagine how many stories fighters will tell you about all this stuff off the record. And it is endless. It is endless. None of it is surprising to me. Getting some of the, I think the most important part is Bloody Elbow has like one through 90 in terms of like payouts, like the the highest 90 paid fighters or something. That's valuable to understand what the pay scale looks like. So I think there's a real value there. But folks, I will tell you, I cannot, how many times Somebody told me something off the record about why they couldn't take a fight or why this happened or what happened here or how, here's how we explain this. I got, you know, Joe Silva called me and said this and we got threatened to do that and blah, blah, blah. And you, you, I, I heard all these stories all the time, all the time. Dude, ask Ariel the same question. When's his MMA hour again? Monday? Ask him on, ask him on Monday. Ask him, ask him how many times off the record people over the course of the years told them all these things. So when you see this stuff in black and white, you're like, wow, you know, this is, this is all of that come to light. Right. But there's been no one piece more than the other that has been more as, as eye catching to me, your mileage will certainly vary. I think a lot of this for folks who haven't been privy to some of these conversations probably feel very differently, right? They probably feel like, oh my God, I can't believe that someone wrote that in the email or that this text message got sent. But off the record, dude, I've been hearing these stories from everybody you can possibly imagine. I mean, it's been it's been endless. So again, from an, a public value standpoint, it's probably the pay scale that we now have a clear sense of. Um, some of the some of the things that the uh, yes, I would say that. I would say that's probably the most important part. Again, they have one through 90 up there, like a, a very long level of scale that they have. Um, but I, there's been nothing that has come out and like shocked me. And I hate, I hate these people. I swear to God, I hate these people who are like, something amazing will happen. And then on the internet, everyone goes, are you surprised? Like no one's ever surprised on the internet, right? No one. 
nothing. Like aliens could come to Earth, they could crash land in Central Park, and they could just use their ray guns to fry everybody. It'd be the most amazing things. Or they could, the aliens could pop out from underground Earth. They could be like the kaiju in, what's that movie? Pacific Rim? By the way, underrated movie, Pacific Rim. Very good. They could, the kaiju could come screaming out of the ground, you know, just bucking everyone with ray guns or fire from their mouths or whatever. The most insane shit you never imagined ever happening. And there's going to be some asshole on social media who goes, well, you're surprised by this? Like, yeah, motherfucker, I am. But uh, from a personal experience, this, the revelations of stuff that has come out has, what's been kind of funny to me is how closely it has matched the stories that mostly managers, but fighters too have told me. Tons and tons and tons of them. It's been so consistent. You cannot imagine, man. I mean, it's... It has been wild. It has been wild. Another question about Aljo and Max. We kind of did that one last week or two weeks ago. Okay, here's another one. Would you agree in saying that Tony's decline actually started before his losing streak? The Gaethje loss was obviously devastating, right? And forever changed him, but I feel like already in the Pettis and Cowboy fights, he was slowing down. This also, in my opinion, solidifies the fact that he has at almost zero chances at ever winning a fight again. Well, that's a little strong, but okay. He may be the greatest example of a fighter relying on his athletic ability and toughness more than any of his other aspect of his game. And once these two elements were not on par with the competition, the disaster was inevitable since he lacks technical aspects to carry him through old age, as opposed to someone like Miller or even Arlovsky. Well, he is a dynamic athlete, but he had an unusual style. To me, it's, you're right, the slowdown and some of the athleticism and then the compromising of his durability, right, has made him easier to hit. And then because he's easier to hit and he can't take a hit quite like he used to, it just all kind of magnifies. There, there might be something to that, you know, he was certainly even, uh, relatively relatively speaking old in the Pettis was it 2018 the Pettis fight 2018 2019 or so for Cowboy something like that so that was what five years ago that put him around 34 35 give or take so that's probably the end of the prime something like that or the 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 beginning of the post prime however you want to describe it uh and I think he even talked about how he he went in with a certain kind of expectation stylistically to have fun or uh, not the same kind of seriousness that he should have had earlier in terms of really sticking to a game plan, applying his trade, not fucking around, not taking unnecessary risks, just being very focused on the task at hand. There probably is something to that. It's just in my mind that the Gaethje fight is so clearly the demarcation line because if you get, I'm, boys and girls, go rewatch that fight. I actually rewatched it this week. It is fucking brutal. Brutal. Dude, Justin Gaethje is not a soft hitter. He is a heavy hitter. And he was throwing, like, from center field, trying to throw out the runner from third to home field, to, to home plate. I mean, throwing rockets overhand and landing flush. I cannot believe Tony didn't get knocked out earlier. I cannot believe that. Like, absolutely un outrageous and this happened over and over and over and over again tony's toughness is like something i've never seen before 
And the fact that he's even still here trying to win, even at this late stage, kind of speaks to that. But, my lord, man. That demarcation line is so stark, so clear, so explanatory. Dude, I don't, I've said this before. I don't give a shit who you are, man. You can't come back from that. Nobody can come back from that, man. Nobody. He still might get a win on Saturday because of all the things we talked about already, right? But nobody's coming back from that. Like, in terms of being the same person or relatively close to it. He left a gigantic piece of himself in the octagon that day in Florida. Brutal. Brutal. If you've not rewatched that fight in some time, do it again, man. I'm going to pull up the stats on that one. I think they're not that bad in terms of the differences, but I think a couple of them are. Let me see here real quick. Here. Um, Tony Ferguson. Yeah, they're numerically, they're not far apart. Oh, my God. Significant strikes, dude. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Dude, look at this number. Hold on. Um, here we go. Dude, look at this fucking number. Are you shitting me? Justin Gaethje landing 72% of his significant strikes, a strike at distance, essentially. Oh my God, man. That number is closer to what Tony has, which is usually like sub 50, You often sub 40. Um, golly, man. Like, for example, let's see if Justin did that in, in like the Poirier fight. How many of those? High, still high, 62. Poirier around 51. That's about right. Let's go to the Fazeev fight. Fazeev, 57. Dude, Gaethje lands a shitload of his fights at distance at 60%. Let's pick. Here, let me put this back on. Let me pick. Let's pick. How about Gilbert Burns, right? Everyone's going to be different, but let's see. What is Gilbert Burns' significant strike percentage? So against Bilal Muhammad, yeah, this is this is more typical what you see right here. 46 and 55, right? Around that is sort of what you see. And that guy was at 72%. That's high as shit. Bah! Just crushing him. Crushing him. You just can't come back from that, man. You can't. Uh, let's see. Luke, do you think Jones not fighting Aspinall would affect how fans view his legacy? Maybe, probably not. He's obviously the GOAT, but walking away from his biggest challenge to date would leave a bad taste in a lot of fans' mouths. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Well, again, we don't really know what the truth is and who's to blame, and there's probably blame to go in many different directions, including to Francis's direction. But he didn't fight Big Francis either. So this is my whole thing. It's like if you come back and you fight Cyril Gaon, that's a tough fight in the sense that uh, Gaon was a very good heavyweight overall, but severely lacking in the grappling department, like really, really rudimentary skills there. So that was kind of a slim picking, or I should say easy pickings for John. And then if he fights an over-the-hill Stipe, you know, and God bless Stipe, but, you know, walking into the octagon like Cornelius, or no, walking to the octagon like Cornelius from Planet of the Apes, Stipe was just like, oh my god, like this is the guy that they want John to fight. Like, or I should say, this is the version of the guy because in his prime, it's a different story. But we're so far past that. Like, but like you know, I've said it before, man. Listen, two things to consider: one, John's achievements are extraordinary. Like, even if he doesn't fight, um, whoever. What he's done in mixed martial arts has been nothing short of absolutely miraculous. I mean, 
Didn't he beat Shogun the same day that he stopped a robber in Newark, New Jersey? I mean, most guys want to play video games and shut out the world and turn off social media. And that dude was out there fighting crime, you know, at the time. It was just absolutely crazy to see. And by the way, after that, when, you know, he had his various issues with either drunk driving or whatever, fans fucking hated him. I mean, they fucking hated him. Hated him. I, I, they weren't. I mean, this, the current social media age is different, but it, it was on par to the kind of shit you see with Ian Gary. Not as much jokey-jokey shit, you know, but even that too, to be perfectly honest. I mean, they fucking hated him. So it's very, very funny for me to like now here be the, all these years later looking back and being like, wow, dude, they, they really have come a long way. Um, but like what he has done has been absolutely extraordinary, and there's simply no two ways about it. Whether or not it satisfies every criteria for every claim made, Probably not, but the, the the larger picture is he has done exceptionally well. Um, but it's the thing I get back to before, dude. It does not matter in this sport to what extent you are speaking the truth. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. What What really matters is what level of power or prestige you hold in the sport. That is the most important thing. And you can define the terms of the conversation simply by being up here when everyone else is down here. You can do that. It is, I have seen it over and over and over and over again. Over time, there will probably be some revisionism, excuse me, revisionism about John. I've seen people be like, was Anderson that great? Or, you know, was, was GSP really that good? And, you know, GSP got fraud checked by Hendrix or some shit like that. When in fact, you know, those guys are basically as good as fighting gets. Um, but I think the fact that he is enormously powerful, that the fans have really come around on him. They, I'm, I'm telling you, they used to fucking loathe that guy. And this is the funniest part about it. I would defend him relentlessly week after week. And then I go to ask him that question. He's like, I really don't like you. I'm like, my guy, <laughs> do you, do you think I defend you? Cause I like you. Is that what, is that what you think? Like, I'm doing this as, like because, you know, I think you're a great guy or something. Is that what, is that what you think? I mean, I just couldn't believe the, the balls on him to do that. But, but my point being is um, it was so shocking to me because this all came at a time when everyone was mercilessly. It sort started to die out a little bit after that. Um, well, I, I, that's not quite true either because it, 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 it's had various ups and downs. But. The point being is um, there was a period where I was like, no, no, oh, you just defend John no matter what. And then I asked him that question and he got all bitter. And it's like, wow, like if he doesn't like me at this point, who the fuck does he like? You know, and I saw he went after Ariel on uh, Instagram in one of the comments as well. Like, you know, I don't I don't think Ariel's been unfair to him uh, even a little bit, you know, but I'm sure he disagrees. So what are you going to do? All right. Uh, I might come back to some of these. Now nah, there's a lot. Um, yeah, I, I might. I, let's see what kind of time we have. I do have to get going because I have an event to go to. So let me get to some of these paid questions. If you got them, if you don't got them, you just want to enjoy. That's cool. If you're a member, that's cool too, man. Appreciate y'all just the same. All right, here we go. Uh, a better grappler writes, here's to supporting Luke PS. I'm the guy whose wife is from Lawton. Oh shit. Lawton, Oklahoma. They ranked number four as the worst city 
to raise a child and all my homies hate Lawton. Dude, I got fucking, I got the worst beating I've ever gotten. I got in Lawton, Oklahoma. I got fuck. I got mugged. I got robbed. So I've been robbed twice in the eight, well, eighties and nineties in DC back when it was, you know, a complete fucking hellhole. And, uh, and, uh, and then one time in Lawton dude, Lawton is, I had my tires slashed. And my, not my, my dad's car. We were all using the car. Fucking tire slash. And I got fucking robbed at a park once and got uh, uh, jumped by, I don't know if they were a gang, but it was like five dudes or whatever. Lawton is tough, bro. Tough, tough place, man. That's just, that's just, the, that, that place is just like, if you ever, like, what does American decline look like? Go to Lawton, Oklahoma. Wow, bro. Wow. Uh, Melissa Duda. Thanks, Melissa. Duda in Spanish means doubt. Did y'all know that? Oh, look at this. Look at this. Just gifting memberships left and right. Thank you, little gloom. I appreciate you. The cat needs a little help. Luke's, Luke, thanks for the great content. I started lifting this year, and I've gone from barely being able to squat just the bar to squatting 225. Yeah, hell yeah, bro. Good for you. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, the dude, the iron... It will change you, man. It will change. If you let it, it will change you. And that's true for jujitsu. It's true for MMA. It's true for a lot of things. But the gym, if you, the, the iron will change you. It will change you physically. It will change you psychologically. It will change you in so many important ways. And the best part is it doesn't matter how athletic you are. It doesn't matter how whatever. Everyone can get stronger. Everyone can blow up their muscles. Everyone can change or, you know, get smaller if they want or whatever, whatever the goal is. But it's everyone can benefit. It is truly a, it, I, I, if you've never really sunk your teeth into the gym, n- not a better time to do it than today, today. And by the way, I said this before, man, I, I Googled and found a gym that was close by to my house, um, which, you know, this area of DC has been underdeveloped, relatively speaking. Like I don't live in Georgetown. I live very far from Georgetown. And, um, so I, I live in a, on a very different part of town and, uh, there was a 40,000 square foot gym that opened up like eight minutes from my house. I was like, hallelujah. Um, 40 bucks a month to join has everything you could possibly need. I was like, dude, I have hit the fucking jackpot. So, um, get after it in 2024, man. Good for you. Thank you. The T Kogo, whatever that means. Did you see, did you see someone? So getting punched stomp, by owner I genuinely don't know who you're talking about I'm trying to think who is this person he's talking about folks I don't know the answer to that did you see that guy get spit on at the was it the WBC meetings was that what, or WBA meetings whichever one it was and B-Hop got in that dude's face did y'all see that the guy spit in another dude's face and then ran and then B-Hop went looking for his dad Yikes. Jose asks, we've only had one openly LGBT male fighter, Jeff Molina, and he hasn't fought since. Yeah, but he's got the he's got the um investigation around uh, what you call it issues, uh, the the gambling. What can be done to make more fighters feel safe to come out? <laughs> um drastically change the culture. <laughs> you know, I, I to some extent I don't Molina sort of shows that maybe 
it wouldn't be quite the backlash that some perceive, but it's anybody, dude, MMA's culture is toxic as fucking shit. It is profoundly unwelcoming to anything but the ordinary. And even then it's hostile to that. It's hostile to everything. Like people who might feel that they don't fit in because of that are going to absolutely 1 billion percent shy away. So like what can be done to it? You have to completely overhaul the culture. It's rotten to the core. Win or lose, will Colby's next fight be against a lightweight or welterweight? Ooh, ooh, good question. Um, could he cut to lightweight? I don't think so. And traveling to London for two weeks, any advice? I'm not an expert on London, but I mean, shit, dude, it's hard to go wrong in that city. London, one of the truly magnificent cities of the world, man. London is, I don't have, I mean, it's expensive. The only really bad thing I have to say about London, um, British food is not great. But there is very good food in London, of course. And uh, it's expensive. It's very expensive. Um, but other than that, dude, London is the shit. Like, I, I love London. I couldn't say a bad thing about it other than that. The first part of that question was what? Colby's next fight. Um, win or lose? If he loses, he might, he might get some kind of, like, you know, I could see Poirier fighting him if they could reach a catch weight or, you know, if Poirier wanted to go to 170 or something like that. But I don't, yeah, I could see that. I could see something like that. He would, he would, he would mix it up in some kind of way. But I don't, this whole thing like, oh, he can make 155, no problem. I don't, I don't believe that for at all. Like, I don't think that's even remotely true. I know he says it, but it's true. I don't, I don't think that. Which fighter has the most to lose with a loss? Cody Garbrandt, Bryce Mitchell, or Josh Emmett? Cody Garbrandt. Dude, Bryce Mitchell is playing with house money. I mean, if he gets viciously KO'd, that would be terrible for his health or something. But, guys, he's filling in on short notice uh, to make a great fight, by the way. And if he makes weight tomorrow and everything, he's unequivocally doing the UFC a solid. It won't. I'm not going to say it won't matter at all if he loses, but he just rebounded against Dan Ige They'll cut him a break. Like, he'll be okay, you know? Uh, Josh Emmett, if he loses, it would be bad, right? It would be bad. You got an opponent on short notice. You're nearly 40 years old and you lose. That would be devastating. The Garbrandt one would be really bad, dude. Garbrandt used to be champion. He's like on the early, early, early prelims at this point, back at 135. And he's fighting Brian Boom Kelleher, who's got good power. Shouts to him. We were with him on the MMA beat. He's a great guy. I'm glad to see his recovery went well. I'm glad to see him back in action. But, um, you know, he's... What are the odds for this one? Let me see. Um, for fuck's sake. So he is currently sitting at, let's see. Ah, yes. <sighs> Fucking, I, I don't know. I, I don't have the odds in front of me here. I'm trying to find them. Um, ah, here we go. So Kelleher, by the way, plus 170, Garbrandt plus two. Yeah, minus 215. So, like, he's the favorite. He's supposed to win. Yeah, Josh Emmett plus 180, Bryce Mitchell minus 225. I'm a little surprised to see that, to be perfectly honest with you, because uh, Emmett has good takedown defense. But um, it's it's got to be Garbrandt. It's got to be Garbrandt. He's expected to win. He's on the early prelims. You know, if you, if you can't be the guy coming off of surgery, and a very devastating one, too, where they had to go through here. They had to go through here to do neck surgery. Like, that's that's no bullshit. Um, Are you looking forward to some downtime over the holidays? Dude, you have no idea. 
Do Americans get much time off in general? Americans work more hours than any other country in the world. I mean, there might be individually more people who work more, but like in terms of the overall amount of, uh, between the lack of, so when my brother lived in London, and you get 25 days a year, when my brother lived in London, my brother lived in the UK for like four to five years. At that time, this is like the mid 2000s or so, he got mandated, government mandated six weeks off. So you don't get government mandated shit here. Most places will give you two weeks off here in the United States, right? Um, and maternity leave, you know, I mean, you might get three months. Most places won't necessarily be that generous. Some I've seen are better, but, you know, it's not great. Um, I've seen in Canada, you get a, up to a year. I think in Japan, you get up to a year. A lot of places don't even offer paternity leave. Like Americans work like fucking slaves and it's stupid. It's the worst. I absolutely hate it. I mean, I can't complain. I'm not, you know, I'm not out there 80 hours a week getting yelled at by some hedge fund manager or I'm not up there 60 hours a week putting shingles on a roof. But in general, I don't feel like the American approach to work is particularly healthy. Film recommendation. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Not porn. Well, if it's not pornography, I'm not going to watch it. I'm teasing. I'll watch it. Good job. Uh, thank you, Gigi. I appreciate what's this they're saying. This <laughs> his shirt says, "This they them pussy got me acting strange." All right, all right. Um, <laughs> with respect to GSP's strange tweet, I hope you've represented your home nation of India. Well, to your Colombian wife. Did you guys see GSP's tweet? It was strange as shit. He was like, uh, what, what was it exactly? He's like, he's like, if you bang, he didn't say it quite this way. I'm paraphrasing. But he was like, if you bang, you know, someone from a different country, make sure you bang them great because you're representing your country when you bang them. And I'm like, George, I don't think it works that way, but um, thanks for oversharing. You know what I'm saying? By the way, you want to see some new MK gear? This isn't even out yet, I don't think. It, or maybe it is. Do you guys remember the shirt in Die Hard, like Ho Ho Ho, you know, when on the guy's dead body? I don't even know if it makes sense, but it's kind of cool. All right, there you go. Would you ever get a face tat? Never say never, but probably not, no. What question should I ask at the presser today? Ask about the uh, the law, the fighter lawsuit. Should be great. They'll love that. I'm going through a health scare, and UNBC honestly are numbing the physical pain and the mental anguish of an uncertain future. Love you. Well, Anil, I wish you nothing but the best, and I hope to provide you with whatever comfort and relief that we possibly can. Knock on wood for you there. Okay? Uh was the woman from the subway that, oh no, uh, was the woman from the subway that wanted to play hide the salami with you attractive? Um, average. Average. Decidedly average, yeah. Tony, James Tony, punking Ben and Eubank on live TV was epic. I haven't seen that in a long time. Uh, can we get an RSD episode with Dewey Cooper? He seems cool as hell. Would love to. Love Dewey Cooper. Yes, would love to. Uh, if Leon beats Colby, then beats Shavkat, woof. 
That's, I mean, that's two fucking hammers you'd have to beat. Would you bump him in front of Usman in the all-time welterweight list? Leon also hasn't lost since 2018. The thing is, ah, it's a tough one. Um, so by MMA math, there would be a case, but the issue with, with, with Usman was he was more active and then he went undefeated for a long time. Or, you know you know long stretches what was what was his long what was his, his streak or whatever it was it was that that part is hard to top it'd be a complicated debate right because if you beat leon and leon was the guy that beat usman twice then you've got a you know there's a whole thing there but um probably not is the answer but it would definitely complicate the debate if colby loses this saturday what is more likely retirement or a move to middleweight i don't think he's going to retire just yet of course, it would matter based on quality of win factor, but I just don't see a future for him at welterweight. I don't think he's going to want to fight any of those guys at welterweight. He's going to want to fight a big name. I mean, here's what you can basically figure out. Any biggish name he can fight, he'll that's what he'll do. Right? That's what he'll it, Dude, he might even try to do that if even if he wins. Right? He's going to want to fight the biggest name and, you know, maybe that Shafkat whatever. He's like, "Oh, I'm not going to fight the racist uh Bilal Muhammad." You know, I don't I, I, does the UFC have a strong it, dude, if Shafkat wins, and Colby wins, like they're going to make that fight, right? Like that's what they're going to do. Um, or I should say, if Shavkat wins like gloriously or something, they'll definitely make that fight. Um, any preferred news sources for Israel Palestine coverage? Also, add the band Unprocessed Newest Album to the gym queue. Yeah, there's a woman you should follow. Um, again, you know, get a bunch of different sources, but, uh, American media I have found has been, uh, woefully, um, awful. So I would say Omar Batter has been, uh, phenomenal. And then this woman who wrote this book, Nora Arakat, uh, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing her name in some way. She's a professor at Rutgers. Um, she is, uh, she's outrageously good. Um, and has sort of seems to be kind of covering it in a way where she's not a journalist per se, but seems to be on top of the conflict in a way that has been uh, very, very illuminating. Also, let me give you another name, Tarek Bakoni, uh, T-A-R-E-Q-B-A-C-O-N-I, Tarek Bakoni. Very, 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 very intelligent guy. Leon should be a star right now. It's not on the fighter to promote. It's just the promotion's job. UFC only knows how to promote beef or just lazy. Listen, dude, Leon is not a super dynamic personality. He doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to do all that shit. And I honestly think for his sanity, he's probably got the right idea, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, dude, social media is not good for you. It makes everybody meaner. It makes it, me included. It makes everybody worse and angry and pissed off and divided. I can't stand it. Um, it's good for getting your name out there. You can be certainly more visible in that way. And he just doesn't want to participate in all that shit. And honestly, I, I really, I frankly admire it. If I can just be completely honest with you, I really, I really am. But, um, you know, the, I, I will say this, dude, he did that interview with Rio Ferdinand, you know, long time, uh, big time soccer player out of the UK. Uh, you know, that's that, that kind of rub is insane. And I saw the guardian did a write up on him as well. Like he's starting to get a little bit of attention, from mainstream media organs where he may not have to do all that much promoting um, to be more visible, but he's just never going to be that guy who's cracking the whip in that way. And honestly, I, the older I get, the more I'm like, he's got it figured out. Like it's not good for you to do all that shit. All right. The results from the poll. 
some reason it won't show up, but okay. Uh, oh, wait, there we go. Okay. Luke, I know you don't care about what fighters say. That's not true. I, I, mean, it's, I care about some things they say. Just performances. But if you had to choose five fighters to hate to love, hate to love? Who would they be? I'm not sure I understand the question. Um, yeah, hate to love. Um, I mean, it's more like love to hate. I don't know. I don't. I, don't, I sort of don't like the premise of the question. You're just asking me to go shit on people, which I'm not opposed to doing, but I need a good reason to do it. Thanks for these live chats. Um, they've been, oh wait, I mean, okay. Hate to love. You're asking about guys whose personalities don't work for me, but are clearly very talented. Colby would be one. Sean Strickland would be another. Um, there's not many, um, Among active fighters, I mean, uh, Sean O'Malley, I mean, I don't in any way dislike him at all. Uh, I don't quite get the whole thing, but he's obviously much cooler than me, so it, I really have no strong opinion, but, you know, it certainly is a different way to carry yourself. Um, but, you know, he's been very kind to me. I, I like him. Um, I'm trying to think, are there any female fighters that are like this? I mean, Juliana Pena, uh, to an extent, maybe. Um, there's got to be some other ones, man. I'm trying to think. We used to have more wide-ranging personalities than we do now. It's kind of all become somewhat, somewhat homogenized, you know? I'm trying to see here. Is there anyone else? Um... That's super. And the guys I mentioned, they're all super, super talented, you know? Like, it's not a... You can't you can't deny them how great they are. Like, they're very good. Or even really, really good in certain cases. Yeah, it doesn't... It's not... A, it's not... I, 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 can't, I can't give a great answer to that because that doesn't move me in that way. Uh, Micah says, thanks for the live chats. They've been tremendous. Let me learn more about the sport and industry. Much love from Richmond. All right, Micah. I see you, bro. Of these boxing legends, who is the most likely one to be on a room service diaries? Mike Tyson. I interviewed Mike Tyson once after he had back surgery, and they later told me he was on painkillers. And he gave me a one-word answer for every question for 30 minutes straight. And people were like, stop doing the interview. And I was like, no. I'm never going to get time with Mike Tyson again. I don't give a shit if you can just nod. I'm going to keep asking him questions. Oh, that interview sucked. Oh, <laughs> the worst interview. Um, De La Hoya, probably. Floyd, probably not. Manny, probably not. Canelo, probably not. Have you met Mike Tyson? I met Mike Tyson twice. I sat next to him at Glory and interviewed him there, and then I had interviewed him in studio for SiriusXM after he had back surgery, and he was kind of out of it. Kind of out of it. What do you think is keeping U.S. Justice or Treasury from pursuing action against UFC fighters for ties to sanctioned governments and individuals? Buddy, I have been wondering the same thing. Um, they're looking. I can tell you they're aware. And um, 
They are actively aware of what has happened and what is happening. Uh, I don't know exactly what the guidance is internally at Treasury. I don't know what the right answer is about what they should do, quite quite honestly. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. It's a great question. I do not fucking know. I don't know. Ethan says, can you search for my question about Colby? Um, let me see. Um, I don't, uh, you know what, if you can find it, Othello, let me know. I don't know if he's got it or not. I can't, I don't seem to see it. I'm sorry. Email me Luke Thomas news at gmail.com. I promise Ethan, if you reference this, I'll get back to you because I do appreciate the, uh, the donation just the same. Othello has added here. How is Joe Silva? Who's four foot tall, such an intimidating, ruthless businessman. Do you have a Joe Silva story? Yeah. So my Joe Silva story is, uh, I wrote when I was in MMA fighting after, dude, because when Tony beat Katsunori Kakuno, he beat the fuck out of him, right? Tony demolished him. Like, it was a, it was ugly. And the kind of fight that when it was over, you were like, dude, why did they match them up? You know, that doesn't make any sense. And I wrote on MMA Fighting at the time that it made me wonder if the UFC did that on purpose, put Tony, like this like ferocious killer, up against Kakuno, who was good for a time, but at that point... It didn't work. I had I had written like it. It seemed intentional to send a message, not to Kakuno, but to the world about like, you know, where the polarization of MMA had moved. It had moved clearly to North America, and then that was it. And you know, we were they were sending a message because I couldn't understand why else they would book a fight such in a lopsided way. And he called me and screamed at me. Uh, you know, he was like, "How dare you!" And um, you know. Uh, I love Japan and I love the Japanese, blah, blah, blah. And he gave me some story about how the fight came to be. I don't remember the details there. And then after that, he just talked to me for a little while. He screamed to me for like 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. And then after that, he just went back to just talking fights to me. Like he was, he had read it and was like really pissed off. And then, um, that was that. So that's my, that's really the only interaction I've ever really had with him aside from like maybe like brief snippets of small communication here or there. But that's the only time he ever called me and like screamed at me. Uh, he did all that because he was empowered to do that. You know, what are people going to do? You're going to beat up Joe Silva. What's that going to do? Is that going to fix your situation? It's not going to fix anything. It's going to make it worse. So no, like people just didn't do that. Thank you to Max. I appreciate it. Um, everyone seems to view Middle East oil money as the way to make the fights they want and to make their football teams compete with the elite. Has the Middle East successfully sports washed itself? Not quite, but pretty goddamn close. Although I got to tell you folks, I have to, I really, I have been, I have been really dealing with this. It is still different to me that in fact, this is a sovereign wealth fund. So the money that these people are taking, they are taking directly from the government, which means that whatever heinous things the government does, you are tied to that. I mean, that's a real connection. No one is taking money from the Biden administration or the previously Trump administration or something like that. No one was doing that, right? It wasn't, it wasn't, it's not apples to apples. However, I will tell you that the way in which our government currently has pursued efforts um, in terms of the siege on Gaza. They have this country in particular, and I think most Western, well, it's not quite true, but certainly this country, I can only speak for this one. They have absolutely surrendered any moral authority. If they had any to begin with completely, I have, I've had to reconcile that they have 1 billion percent surrendered all of the moral authority that they, if they, if they even had any to begin with, and there's a, great debate that they didn't but let's assume for a second that they did 
they gave it all away. They gave it all. I've told you guys this. I cannot forgive this this administration ever. I cannot do it. Not possible. They're dead to me forever. Um, and so I've had to rethink some of the... I, do I care about people doing business with the UAE and Saudi Arabia? Yes, on some level. I, you know, of course I do. But I got to tell you, I don't care quite as much as I did even a month ago, two months ago. Um, because you cannot... you this. They've surrendered every ounce of any ability to critique these people whatsoever. No, they have nothing left. None. Zero. <laughs> Can you please elaborate on the Caligula-type debauchery you heard in regards to MMA organizations, C-suite types? Buddy, I wish I could. I wish I could. Um... No, I can't is the answer. No. Going to on a DC trip after Christmas with my girlfriend and it's her first time and he wrecks on food. People do this all the time. You um just eat tricks thirty six. Email me, dude. I can't do this on here because it'll take forever. But it, it, there's a lot of shit to see and enjoy. There's a lot. You know, so just email me. Uh I need to put together I need to put together like a document I can just share every time I get this question. Because it's a fine question. I'm happy to help, actually. I'm very much happy to help. LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. But, uh, yeah. Okay, Carlos says, reading 100 years war on Palestine. Can you say something about the current events? I'm a corp. I'm in a corp, and staying shut is a new experience to me. Frustrating and feel like a sellout. Well, you got to protect yourself because certainly they will not. Uh, yeah, it just is amazing to me the level of censorship that goes on to defend the basic. Never in my life uh, have, I can just say this very clearly, in this country, and obviously individual pockets of things will be different, and individual times will be different, individual efforts will be different, but I don't think the lives of Palestinians have ever mattered to the American government. I can say that very, very clearly and with clear a sense of things. And, um, I've never seen it in my life so bad that we have, we, we have, we have failed the Palestinian people completely. The world has failed the Palestinian people completely. And it is such a level of horror and disaster. Um, I've, I no longer have any more words to say about it. Uh, I, um, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen it this bad. And I, Cannot I'm even imagine what the hell is even going to come next. But I do know this. We have completely failed them. The world has failed them. We have failed them in every every way imaginable. At their biggest time of need, we have failed them all. With the Showtime boxing card this Saturday being the final one, what's your top three to five best moments covering boxing on Showtime? Biggest one, Crawford and Spence. Never, never had an experience at a fight like that ever. It's got to be number one. Number two, damn, probably Benavidez uh, plant. That was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. And I will tell you, my favorite one was the first one I ever did, which was Tank Davis in Baltimore against Ricardo Nunez. That was the first time they, I got to work the desk. I got to help out. I got to be a part of it. Baltimore went fucking crazy. For Tank Davis. Obviously, the one in DC was great too, but I had a terrible seat for that one. Um, but uh yeah, those three are probably my three favorites, dude. Those were just absolutely amazing. 
Still blocked on IG. Okay, I will fix this. Uh, dude, just just message me. LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. I will unblock you. You probably said some crazy shit, but I'll unblock you. I'm happy to do it. All right, is Draymond Green the Pepe of the NBA? <laughs> dude, they, they, they suspended this fucking guy. He is, dude, he does things in the NBA that are illegal in MMA. I mean, he's stomping on people, kicking them in the balls, shit like that. He's like the Sergio Ramos. That's who he is. He's like the Sergio Ramos of of basketball. And I love Sergio because, you know, he did it, for my, did it for my team. But, dude, he's a fucking menace out there. My God. Tattoo artist in California. Free tattoo waiting for you if you're out here. Where in, where in California, Isaiah? Where in, you got to tell me where. I'll take you up on that. Uh, with Ant. Here we go. We both know I was the best PR guy in MMA history. Well, that's debatable. But you were pretty good. But who's the worst? Who's the worst? Um, one of the... I don't know if you worked with her aunt, but it was the one that came before you. Um, I'll just say her initials were DB. Uh, I remember... I remember, dude. You couldn't... Oh, I'll never forget this. Her initials were DB. And just treated me like an absolute piece of shit. I mean, could not have been worse or more unnecessary. Oh, and what do they, and do they work for Ian Gary? I don't know if they work for Ian, but uh, could not have been worse to me through the entire time they were at the UFC. Then they split off and went on their own. And I remember when they went on their own, they sent me this email, like this really positive, like can't wait to work together. And I was like, I was like, are you out of your fucking mind? You are dead to me. We will never work together. You can lose my fucking email today. And, and I've never spoken to that person since. So, um, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. I, I was like the balls on this person to think that well, I'm just going to look the other way after you treated me like absolute shit. No, 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 no. Norman Finkelstein. Yes. Um, uh, Pat and Miko. I don't know the, the third one. Miko Peled. Highly recommended for Israel and Palestine history. I don't know the last gentleman, but uh, yes, um, certainly could be some names you could benefit from. Luke, did you see? I have not seen that one yet, Liam. I apologize. No, I've not seen that one yet. I'll have to check that one out. Does it make you uncomfortable when BC mocks Asian fighters? He's not mocking them in the way you imagine. It does make me a little bit uncomfortable when he trends in that territory. But honestly, man, we've had long conversations about this very topic. He is a goof and he fumbles his way through stuff. That is true. And he should be more careful. That is also true. But I really hope you understand this guy has a heart of gold. And I do I do 100% know that for sure. He is not trying to genuinely hurt a soul. Um, he is a, he's a doofus, but he's not a bad person. And I do think that matters. Luke, I've been to a UFC event, this person writes. I am now going to the Better Beef Smith fight in January. Okay. How different will those experiences be? I'm, this is the is this one? Where's the Better Beef Smith fight? Right? Where is that? Better Beef versus Smith. Where is that fight taking place? That's going to be um, January 13th. Where are they going to put that? They're going to put it in Quebec. Yeah, at the Center Videotron in Quebec. I'm sure I've said that all fucked up. Dude, that's going to be amazing. Like, 
that atmosphere is going to be lit. Late arriving crowd, it's going to be a little bit different. I don't know exactly what the Quebecois fan base looks like for combat sports exactly. Um, but that one should be a ton of fun with a very, very enthusiastic crowd, you know, with better be sort of, if you guys don't know, he lives in Montreal. So he is uh, a natively Chechen, but he lives in Montreal, Canada, and he has a sort of a very peaceful life there. And they've kind of adopted him, I think, is my understanding anyway. George, George St. Pierre has a relationship with him as well. Um, yeah, that will be, I don't know if it'll be more, a UFC event is like a, it's a rowdier crowd, but this will be a more sing-songy together kind of crowd. All right, and last but not least, business and entertainment-wise, is Leon versus Shavkat the best welterweight fight if everything lines upright? I don't know, Colby versus Shavkat would be pretty great too. Seems like that would be a surefire banger. Yeah, I think both of those. Yes, yes. Is it the very best one? It's a matter of personal preference. Would it be a very, very good one? Yes, I certainly think that it would be. But I think, honestly, you couldn't go wrong in either direction. Okay, boys and girls, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. I have to get going. I have an event to get to. But I appreciate you guys watching. If I ask you to email me, please do. Please email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. I want to be able to help you if at all I can. All right? So hit me up, and I will do my best. Podcast goes up tonight or first thing in the morning. We'll change up the thumbnail. I appreciate you guys. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, stay frosty. Bop, bada, bada.